everyone, I'm Amy Barajas and this is the NICU Family, a podcast dedicated to families that are going through the NICU experience. Through this podcast, I hope you find support, community, and hope by connecting you to other families that have been in your shoes. Hey, NICU family, welcome back to today's episode. Today, our guest is Teresa, and she will be telling us the story of Allie Rose. Teresa is a huge advocate for special needs children and NICU families. The story of Allie Rose is very special because she is a 26-week preemie that has defeated all odds and continues to thrive and live her best life with her amazing family. So welcome, Teresa. How are you? I'm well. Thank you for having me. Okay. So before we start, why don't you tell us a little bit about you and your family? Um, Yeah, certainly. Again, my name is Teresa. Um, My husband is Jeff. Um, Jeff and I have both been married for four years, and we have a beautiful little girl, as you mentioned, Allie Rose. She's now three years old, and we have a sweet baby girl up in heaven watching down on us. Um, She would have been four, actually, now. Um, I have a bachelor's degree in business um, from the University of Laverne, and I work as a a realtor, and my husband is a police officer. Okay, thank you. So um, so let's start with your pregnancy. Did you have any complications or were you aware about how the delivery was going to happen in any way? Well, um, to, well to start, um, prior to the second um, pregnancy with Allie Rose, um, as mentioned um, briefly, um, we did miscarry our first little girl at 18 weeks. So a year before having Allie Rose. Um, so during this pregnancy, I was monitored a bit more. I was considered high risk due to the the fact that um, my first miscarriage, um, I was so far along in the pregnancy. Um, so um, during Allie Rose's um, pregnancy, I went in for, you know, your normal, aside from like the nerves and everything that you have, because I wanted everything to go well, I went in for my 18, um, it was between 18 and 20 weeks for the anatomy scan that you usually go to with my high-risk doctor. And uh, he noticed some abnormalities and um, that he believed that would lead to an unsuccessful pregnancy. So during that appointment, he stated that my daughter was much smaller than she should be for her gestation at that time and that he had never seen a placenta as poorly as mine. Um, How he stated it was that he had never seen a placenta as bad as mine, that it was worse than a heroin user's. And mind you, I have never used narcotics. So um, to me, it was very shocking, especially for him to use those terms and to say that to me. Um, He also pointed out that if I went through with the pregnancy that she at that point she was already called an IUGR baby, which is called an intrauterine growth restricted baby. So she wasn't getting the nutrition that she needed to thrive um, due to my placenta deficiencies. So as you can imagine, at the end of my appointment, I was devastated. I was broken. Um, and then the doctor also provided me with a flyer. Um, to go to a clinic, um, it was a, a information of a clinic that um, determinates the pregnancy because they don't perform those um, at the hospital that I was going to. So I would have to go to out, outdoors to another clinic to have to terminate the pregnancy um, due to all his findings since he felt it wasn't going to be, you know, a successful pregnancy. Um, so despite everything, like, you know, I asked questions like, you know, how can it be like my daughter's heartbeat is 
is strong. Like this cannot be like, it was just so surreal. Like it didn't feel like this was happening again, you know? And, um, so I couldn't, uh, you know, I, I couldn't fathom the idea of ending my daughter's life, you know, after despite, um, the complications that the doctor said that she could be born with. And he said, you know, pretty much that she only had a 1% chance of even surviving, um, through the pregnancy, let alone through a birth. So, um, after, after that appointment, um, you know, I, I ended up going, uh, my mom went with me to that appointment. So, um, cause my husband had been working. So, you know, I called him and, and I let him know and I, you know, I was devastated. So when he got off, you know, we talked about it and, um, we still decided to continue with the, with the pregnancy, despite any of the odds that she may not survive. So at that point we already knew like, okay, we don't know if she was going to make it through the pregnancy or, you know, how far along I was going to make it. But at that point, when we decided to continue, um, we were just being monitored a little bit more. So, um, so, so yeah, so that's that part. And so, um, how far along you were you when you gave birth? Um, well, before I gave birth at 25 weeks, I went to go see my regular OB and, um, he was actually, he was really amazing. And, um, you know, at, he let me know when I went in for my appointment, um, that my fluids, my uh, amniotic fluid was low. So, um, he believed that the best idea for us at that point was to, um, be hospitalized so I could be complete bedridden and just to be monitored 24 seven. He said like, he believed that that would be the best chance to, you know, trying to keep her longer, you know, in my uterus. So they had me at the Kaiser in um, Fontana. So when I went there, um, I was there before I gave birth for about a week. So I gave, she came at 26 weeks and one day. So they suggested that I go through a natural like a natural birth so that the c-section could be avoided due to her small weight um and due to her small weight and at the time you know how they take measurements for you know to measure the the fetus the baby in there to see how how big they are so when they measured she was approximately 290 grams um so so it's 10.22 ounces inside and they said that those numbers when they come out could be could vary could be a little bit more could be a little bit less so they advise um, against C-section again, and then they advise that we go with a natural birth because, but at the same time, they didn't believe by going through a natural birth since she was so tiny that she would even uh, survive um, the birth, that it would be a little bit, you know, traumatic. So this they, the, the reason they didn't recommend the C-section was because they stated that my risks were higher um, because they would have to do a classical C-section which is a lower abdominal um, incision that they normally make, and then a vertical incision on my inside of my uterus. Um, so that surgery, obviously, the, the recovery would be much longer. It risks the possibilities of having future children, and um, and all for just a one percent chance of her even um, of even her surviving. So. The, the, from there, the doctor stated that um, she wouldn't even be born alive, that they didn't have medical equipment that was small enough to even cater to a baby of that of that size. So again, we decided to just go with a C-section um, despite any of the odds. And we at least we wanted to know that my, my husband and I wanted to know that we did everything that we did, we could in our power to give her a chance. So 
we went to the operating room and to everyone's surprise um, when they reached in to get this tiny little baby um, she she cried and they couldn't believe it because it was well, sounded more like a squeak but they couldn't believe it you know because she she was born alive and um, wow. the the nurse the nurse brought her a nurse brought her to me and they held her in you know the palm of her hand and um, I kissed her and they took her off to the NICU and I told my husband to go um, to go with her while they finished on finished up everything on my end but the whole experience was very traumatic and um, nothing like I pictured pregnancy um, and birth but she's alive and at that point that's what mattered so when she was born she was smaller than they had measured her in the uterus. Um, she actually weighed 270 grams, which is uh, equivalent to 9.5 ounces. So she was born. So obviously I was very out of it after the, the birth because of the type of cesarean that I had and a lot of pain. So um, for the first two days, I really don't remember anything. Um, I was in my room. My husband was going back and forth from the NICU to my room because I did lose a lot of blood also when I was... Um, when I was in the in the in the birthing process of it, so um, two days after though they called my room and they let me they let us know like hey like um, we need you someone to bring you to the NICU because your 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 daughter's passing, so we need you to come and do comfort care. Um, so I my husband came and he got me and um, you know he wheeled me in a wheelchair to to go to the room and can you explain um can you explain a little bit what comfort care is yeah um well comfort care is um usually uh, is when an individual is is passing away so they give you the opportunity to share these last moments with um your loved one so you know she was an infant so i was able to do uh, that was the first time i got to hold her and I held her skin to skin, but at the same time, it was such an like agonizing, uh, sad moment because I was giving her pretty much holding her and her giving her the comfort during her last moments. Oh, wow! So, um, so that was, um, and you know, while the doctors were there, they you know they let us know that usually babies nick you when they're born because at that point she wasn't intubated; she just had like, some oxygen on a nasal cannula. And um, they're like, you know, babies usually honeymoon and they, they say that they do so well the first couple of days and then they just they just crash. And that could have been her that, you know, that she was just she did so well. But at that point, they couldn't do anything because the, the equipment that they had wasn't big enough to accommodate her. Um, How many days was she when they asked you to do comfort care? Uh, she was on oh, two days. She had been um, born and she was um, just two days. So um, we were there and, um, you know, we were holding her. We were doing the skin to skin. Uh, I was devastated. And I was I was crying like I was just in in disbelief, like because uh, I, you know, I didn't want to lose her. And um, I was begging like I was begging God and I was crying and I just and I didn't want him, you know, to to take my light away, you know. She she was my life, and I couldn't believe that, you know, this was this was happening. And um, and you know, surprisingly, when I was holding her, all her numbers from her monitors that check her heart rates, her oxygen, um, they started going up, and they 
they were nearly perfect. Wow. So we got a, we got a phone call. Um, a doctor called the nurse that was um, there with us at that moment. And, um, you know, because they, they leave you kind of, you know, with by yourself, just with the nurse. So it could be more of an intimate moment. Um, and they called the nurse to see how everything was. If, I guess, you know, if she had passed or um, so the nurse explained who, um, to the doctor, like, you know, you're not going to believe it, but her numbers are practically perfect right now. You know, the mom's holding her and she's doing, they're perfect. So they're like, oh yeah, but she's just, you know, probably when she puts her down, like, you know, so we decided at that point, um, my husband and I, that we wanted the medical staff to at least try to intubate her, which is pretty much, you know, like life support Mm -hmm. to at least try it, like not to hurt her, but at least to try it. So at least we know that we gave her all the opportunities that we had to offer medical staff. Like they did advise against it because again, they said, well, we don't have a tube that's going to be small enough to fit her, you know? So we talked to a few people, my husband and I spoke and, you know, we got some really you know, positive word back. And, you know, we decided to, to go forth, um, to, with the intubation. And, um, and then from there, like, um, you know, she did when they did, um, when they were going to put the, uh, the tube in to intubate her, she, um, she flatlined and they had to give her, you know, an injection for the heart to kind of give her that adrenaline. And then, um, and then she started breathing again and, um, they intubated her, and then that's when we began our NICU journey from that point. And when they intubated her, did her vitals, after they were able to bring her back, were they steady, or um, did they have a hard time just keeping her steady? Um, no, um, after, the intu- after the whole flatline and they kept her, they, they did get her steady, but she was, um, you know, they put her back in her the little incubator, and uh, from there, you know, we, we didn't hold her for about another like two weeks or something mm-hmm. um, from there. Okay. But I know, um, like, as far as our, you know, our NICU journey, um, you know, and everything uh, with how we felt and our diagnosis, um, it's definitely, definitely a, a roller coaster there. We spent six, six long months there and it, it ended up turning into our home. Um, the NICU team, you know, became our family. Um, they saw how they saw us during our highest points and they experienced our lowest, darkest moments um, by our side as well. Uh, we felt helpless many times because, you know, many times since it's a roller coaster, you know, if they're doing so bad, there's nothing as a parent that you can do. And um, you wish you could do more, but you, you just can't. And um, thankfully at the the NICU there at the Kaiser, they have separate rooms for every child. So um, we would spend most of our nights, uh, we would spend mostly every day there. Um, actually, on days that she would do, that she was doing well, um, I would stay there all day. And then my husband, I would come home to sleep, but my husband would stay there all night. And I would come back early morning and then, you know, um, switch off like that. And um, so we would just kind of repeat that or, days where we would just both stay there we wouldn't want to leave her sight and um you know every time every time like I cried every time I walked out of the hospital like I felt guilty just you know even leaving her like even though I knew that she was in good hands 
I still felt a void. I still felt that guilt of like, how can I go, even if it was to go eat or to go take a shower, like, how am I doing this and leaving my daughter like alone in the hospital, you know? So I cried many times. I felt, you know, again, empty walking out the doors. Um, I cried every time I saw mom walking out with her newborn. And it's not because I was uh, jealous or envious of them or not happy for them, but because I felt that it was unfair for, um, I felt it was unfair for, for myself that I couldn't experience, I couldn't experience that. And, and that, you know, that my little one was in there, um, fighting for her life, you know? And I felt like the image that I had of being a new happy mom with a new newborn was taken away from me. Everything I pictured and imagined was nothing. It was nothing of what I was experienced. And I felt like I was shattered. Um, and then like the only thing that I was able to do there um, was I thankfully I was able to pump during her, like her whole NICU stay. Like even though she barely ate any of it or she didn't start eating, feeding, they didn't start feeding her that for a while. I was able to store a lot of it. And I was very determined, even though it's, it's very hard to pump when you have a lot of stressors. Mm -hmm. And we had so many while we were there. But I was so determined that every two hours I was pumping, you know, I was, I would pump, wash my bottles. And I felt I only had a little bit of break. And then I had to pump again. And, and I was able to do it. And, um, but I feel like that helped a lot too, you know, and during, during her, her stay there, she was, um, she was intubated, uh, several times. Sometimes they would try to take off, you know, the tube and then she wouldn't do so well. So they would have to reintubate. She was on several types of breathing machines that they have there, you know, um, that they have, um, from nasal cannulas, from masks, like different, different things. She did have, she did have two surgeries while she was there. She had a PDA ligation and then, um, uh, there, um, and during that PDA ligation, um, she, uh, she had some fractures and like in her ribs. So a couple days after, after that surgery, um, she did have, um, she got really bad and we almost lost her again. And, uh, yeah, so, um, the oscillator, she was put on there after she had the PDA ligation and, um, she was with the oscillator along with the oscillator. This machine is like a very loud machine, but the machine shakes mm -hmm. when, um, it shakes like the little bed that she's sleeping mm -hmm. on. And the reason why, because the, since she's not breathing on her own, the lungs stiffen up. Mm -hmm. And then they're providing, they also have a separate machine, which is provide, providing nitric. Mm -hmm. And that's going into her lungs as well. So they needed to shake so her lungs don't stiffen and then they collapse. So, yeah. um, so we were on that machine for a while and we almost, um, we almost lost her um, at that, at that point. Um, but you know, she was on very high settings on that machine. And after that machine, they didn't have anything that there at that hospital that they would be able to do for her. So that was kind of like the last resort that we had at, at that time. Um, but thankfully, again, she um, kicked butt and she started improving 
Um, so after that surgery, we were really afraid like for any other surgery. So when they had suggested that they would have to do a surgery for um, perhaps like, a, you know, a G-tube, I really wanted her to, I really wanted her to try to eat and everything, but she ended up getting a, a G-tube as well. So that was her second surgery that they had. And um, at the same time, they also did a, um, they did a fundoplication, so to help with the reflex that she had. Can you explain a little bit what that is, the fundoplication? Yeah, so um, what that is, is they pretty much get a, a muscle from the, they get one of the muscles that they have that connects from the esophagus to the stomach, and they tighten, they tighten that muscle along with where the stomach is located, so it kind of holds the food um, together, so it, it, it avoids the, the reflex. But it's kind of hard to tell if the because her that those muscles are still in place when they've done um, studies on her, but they can't tell how tight or or you know how loose they are from those images. So even though they may do that procedure, um, it might not be successful all the time. So in, in our case, it wasn't it wasn't um, successful. It wasn't. I mean, it's still in place. So if we're going technically technically it you know it is successful but it didn't work for her it didn't completely take off the ref the reflex no no she's still so she's still diagnosed with a um with uh with a reflex disease mm -hmm. and um so despite you know um you know being there for for several months um during our experience um you can never you can never unsee or erase um, images out of your mind, you know, and, and they're still till this moment, like, you know, you could do, be doing something random and those images just come back, you know, come back to your head and and they're, they still shatter you. They're still heartbreaking, like, to think, like, you know, I see her now as a three-year-old and, and just even the thought that, oh, my God, like, I almost lost you, mm -hmm. you know, over two years ago, over, you know, almost three years ago and and you know it's it just it's heartbreaking and it, and it scares you and despite all the odds that were stacked against her you know she defied them and she came home after 180 days that we were there um when at leaving she was diagnosed when we were there she was diagnosed with osteopenia and what that is is uh is a brittle bones because she did have several fractures when she was multiple fractures when she was in the NICU so thankfully that's something that she's already outgrown um as i mentioned prior she was diagnosed with GERD the gastroesophageal um, reflex disease she was um, diagnosed with pulmonary hypertension and um she which she also outgrew thankfully so we kind of graduated from seeing a cardiologist that we, we don't need to see anymore and um she was diagnosed with pulmonary bronchial dysplasia, um, chronic lungs, which she now has asthma due to it. And um, and then she did come home. When she came home, she came home on 24-7 oxygen and her um, her feeding tube. And as she's grown, we've learned that she has many um, sensory issues and that we're, um, that we're still working with and, um, you know, that she has asthma. But... Um, with sensory, um, they have, it's called sensory processing disorder. Um, they usually wait to diagnose a child um, until, I want to say until they're about five years old, but therapists are able to see signs already. And um, 
And then that comes with a lot with how her experience when she first came into life as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That is so many things that you had to struggle with when you were in the NICU. And I know you mentioned that you yourself also struggled emotionally and mentally with um, some, some flashbacks. What are some things that you had to do in order to keep yourself sane and to keep yourself mentally healthy to be able to take care of her when she got home? So during our NICU stay, they have uh, social workers that go and check up on the parents to see how they're doing and everything. Um, but I ended up going to um, to my own therapy um, to go see, a, a, you know, speak to a therapist. And I was also going to, they had suggested because they had said I had postpartum depression, but a lot of it had to do with my not bringing my daughter home, you know. So it was, uh, I would say a lot of like situational um, because mm-hmm. of the circumstances. So I did the group therapy, but I was really not, I felt like I could not relate to anyone that was there. So I think oftentimes after going through that therapy, it kind of just made me a little bit more um, upset and aggravated because I would hear certain stories and not to lessen anyone else's story or anything, but I just, you know, the doctors had recommended it for me. So I, you know, I tried it, but I just felt like it wasn't the same, you know, the situation and the circumstances were completely different, you know. Um, but I did do yeah. the individual therapy, um, you know, that that helped. Um, we really stuck um, hard into our faith, and that's what really helped us as well to kind of keep that sanity um, that we needed. But I think the most thing that helped me through also was – the the pumping to be honest to know that i was able to at least provide even if it was that one thing um that i was able to provide that thing her source of nutrition wow yeah that's amazing and that's so true and i kind of relate to you in not being too able to relate to other moms Mm -hmm. because going through this experience and like you said it's not to lessen anyone else's life or struggles but you have a a a vastly different perspective on what it is to have a child that went through the NICU and is struggling and being in the NICU for so long. I don't think most parents that are in the NICU are there that long. So I think your perspective is very different and to have people to relate to you, it's a little bit harder to find that niche Mm -hmm. of, um, of parents. Yeah. So I kind of get, your difficulty in being able to relate to uh, other moms in group therapy. Yeah. I can see that. So you're saying that, um, if we go back, that Ellie Rose is in therapy. Mm-hmm. So what kind of therapies is she in now that um, she's out of the NICU or since she's been out of the NICU? Um, now, um, currently, I mean, when we left the, the NICU, she was – she saw more specialists than she currently sees. She saw, you know, um, cardiology. Um, we saw neurology. We saw um, high-risk doctors. Um, she had occupational therapy, physical therapy, um, pulmonary, and gastrointestinal. But currently, um, she just sees, as far as specialists, she just sees a pulmonary, a pulmonary specialist, and a gastrointestinal specialist. And she goes to therapy um she goes to therapy to ot she used to go twice a week she currently goes to one uh, not because she doesn't need it but because um her main therapist um decided that maybe she just needed a break because we do a lot of feeding therapy because she doesn't eat anything by mouth 
Um, and since, but she's been going to therapy since she's been out of the hospital. So we thought we both came to a, an agreement that maybe she just needed a break from the feeding therapy, you know, cause she wasn't, she was kind of like at a, a stagnant point where she wasn't progressing or wasn't doing anything. So, um, so right now she's just going to OT once a week that may change again back to two uh, with this upcoming year. Um, once I meet with her main occupational therapist and then she goes to physical therapy, uh, twice a week. And, um, that kind of takes me to the, you know, how she's progressed from the, you know, from graduating the NICU and, um, how she surprised me. Um, currently she's no longer on oxygen. So we do see her specialist, um, the, the current three ones that we see for her pulmonary because she has asthma. So every three months we see, you know, him and her pulmonary doctor and her gastrointestinal doctor. Um, but she no longer has to wear an oxygen. Um, she no longer has osteopenia or pulmonary hypertension. And, and she continues to surprise me just all the time with her determination. You know, she just has that strife for life and to, to fight, you know, like very, very stubborn. And they say many kid, kiddos that are born in the NICU or, you know, in, that are, are they, they're fighters, you know, and they become being these little stubborn humans, you know. So um, mm-hmm. she's very determined. She she walks. Um, they didn't know, you know, how, since they don't have many studies of children that were born the size that she was born, they couldn't give me research or statistics on what her chances would be to talk, to walk, to um, to show affection, anything, you know, so, um, now she walks, it took her a little longer, but I mean, she started walking, she didn't crawl as much, but she started walking. I want to say more so on her own when she was about two years old, um, before she was two, she was using a walker. They had like a little walker that she used, um, to walk and then she just Mm -hmm. got the confidence and then she started walking. She did a, she had orthotics and braces for her feet, but, um, those um there were high there were high orthotics up to behind her knee so now she just needs little ankle ones <clears throat> and um she talks she talks so much um she has a very expensive vocabulary she loves to she loves to have me read and she even reads a little bit herself which is blows my mind and surprises me that a little three-year-old could read you know more than a you know, sentences could read a page with me and she tries to sound the words out and um, she's progressed a lot with her sensory issues. Um, Before she wouldn't like to, she doesn't really like to be touched, but um, before she wouldn't let even us hold her hand. And um, that would be hard because of course, what what parents don't want to hold their child's hand, but she, she wouldn't let us hold her hand. And I think when she started walking and with the assistance of us too, she, she let us so now she lets us hold her hand for a little bit and um she's the sweetest little thing too aside from being stubborn and you know bra- mm-hmm. bratty three-year-old she's she's very sweet and um you know we're still the one thing that we're still working on is um her feeding that uh she doesn't eat anything anything by mouth and and you know we're hoping that eventually on her own you know in her own time that she'll get there and if if she doesn't you know i've learned that I can't focus all my attention on her deficiencies. Um, right. and I have to kind of focus on her strengths. So, um, you know, if it happens, it, it happens. And if it doesn't, then we're still blessed with, you know, beyond measure. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. This is an amazing story. Seeing how she's progressed 
in everything. Um, me being my son is four months, right? So I'm, I'm in the beginning stages where I'm like, okay, I want to see progress. I want to see progress, but it's all in their own time. And seeing that, you know, she's done so much on her own because she is a fighter. I, I think it just gives us moms that are a little bit behind in the journey, um, hope and kind of more patience in allowing our children to develop in their own time. Yeah. So that's pretty amazing. Yeah. So in what ways has this journey made you stronger and in what ways has it changed you? Well, this, this whole experience has made me grow as a person overall, um, stronger, um, I'd say humbling. Um, it's made me, it's made me also, um, more stern, I guess, and to advocate for your, for my, for my little one, because if you don't do it, no one else is going to be the best advocate. And as a parent, I think we're the strongest advocates for our children and, um, for anything that she may need. It's made me appreciate all the little things in life that we often take for granted or we overlook. And it's made me more thoughtful of others and realize that we don't, we don't know what others are going through. So, um, people may seem like they're holding it together, but inside they really aren't and um, you know we could see a family and the family may look like a perfect family but we don't know their internal struggles so um, not that like I'm a judging person or anything but sometimes you could see a family you know and um, they could like I could use us they could see us and they could think oh wow like they look so put together but they don't know what's going on behind the scenes you know I I have to coordinate all her scheduling for her feedings I have you know I'm exhausted you know I stay up for her feedings you know wake up early you know um, so it just made me really thoughtful of others. You know, we can't judge people because, um, you know, they, yeah, they might be upset. They might be, but they could be, they're having a bad day, but we don't know why the reasons behind it. So just mindful of, you know, of other people. And, um, I've learned that no matter what, God's always, always has a last say. And although we may not see it at the moment, um, when we're going through our trials, um, God is with us and he has a purpose and it may take us a while to understand it, but there's always a reason for it. Yeah. I love that. That's so true. And uh, what is some advice that you would give to another person going through the NICU experience? Uh, My advice would be um, to make sure to always, always, always ask questions to the staff. Um, You know, there's never, there's never a dumb question. So don't be afraid to ask, to disagree with anything that they may say. Like, if you don't understand something, like just because, um, you know, they're doctors, it doesn't make you any less of a human being, you know, like make sure that they, you understand every process, everything, you know, ask for, ask to have conferences, to have meetings with the doctors. If you don't just, if you agree with something, you know, if you disagree with something to have everything involved. So I know there's that all the doctors that we had were amazing, but every doctor has a different idea to get to the end, you know, to the end result, which is to have them go home. And oftentimes you may disagree, you know, like it's their technique. It's, you know, but, but just because, you may not have that same expertise doesn't make you an incompetent parent doesn't make you any less you know of a of a person like um so i would i would say ask questions because you're the biggest advocate like not to be afraid or um you know intimidated by 
by them because um, they'll respect you more for asking, for being involved. Um, just be involved. I would suggest doing the skin to skin. It's it it is really a miracle when you do skin to skin. Um, it's just amazing, and it just still leaves me in awe how much it helps your child. Your presence while you're there um, is really. They, even though they may seem so small, you know, so fragile or that they're not there, they know, like they sense, they sense your warmth, you know, and um, that really, you know, helps them and just, just have faith. And although, um, you know, although it seems like there's no light at the end of the tunnel, there really is and know that. Um, you know, I want them to know that even though there's only very, there's only a few chosen ones that go through this, this experience, um, you know, you question yourself, why do I have to be this one, you know, going through this, but, but know that, um, that you're not alone and there is support out there. There's others that um, have experiences and there, there's a support system out there for them. Yeah, definitely. That's so true. Well, thank you so much um, for for sharing your experience. Um, it's it's a miracle, literally a miracle, that little Allie Rose is doing so well and she's growing and thriving. And I just love your story because you you show what it's like to also be a strong parent and being able to advocate for your, your children. Because being in the NICU, you get intimidated. It's very easily you get intimidated very easily. So in being able to tell other moms to advocate for them, to speak up, to disagree, I hope it gives other parents that are in the NICU that, that strength to, to do that too, because it, you probably saved your daughter's life because of intuition, not because of knowledge, not because you went to any, you know, college or university or degree or anything like that, you know, what saved your daughter's life was your intuition, your intuition to have the C-section, your intuition to put her to be intubated and probably countless decisions you guys made in the NICU that you're like, I don't know why, but I feel like this is not the right yeah. path. And having that conversation with the doctors, not saying to that saying, not saying that the doctors don't know anything. Like you said, they, they do, they have their, their knowledge and we respect it. But at the same time, we're also the parent and we know our child best. Yes. So I, I like yeah. that. Is there anything else you want to add to your story before we finish? Um, I would just like to say, um, just so, actually I had a couple things, but um, yeah, um, I know that some of the resources that helped us along the way um, with our daughter, um, a big help when we left, when we left the NICU was the Inland Regional Center. Um, mm -hmm. They offer a great um, early intervention program. So um, we jumped on it. So as soon as we left um, the NICU, she started on a therapy where we had an in-home, a specialist come to our home once a week. Mm -hmm. And she was amazing, the teacher that we had as well. Um, and she would come to our home and um, again, once a week, but they graduate. Um, she graduated when she was three years old. Um, but all the all the therapies that we go to are great resources um, to learn from and bond with other moms. Um, I would say the March of Dimes is also um, a lot of people sometimes won't know about it because it's not until you're thrown into that world that you actually start doing like research. And sometimes, too, mm -hmm. you know, um, they're a great resource to help educate current families that are in the current NICU. And um, they have um, 
just to kind of help establish some type of normalcy when they're during their NICU journey because they do, they provide um, some baby showers to certain um, hospitals. They raise funds to try to, you know, make different things in legislation and stuff as well. Um, but they're a great resource. And also social, social media. I mean, that's how I connected with you mm-hmm. as well. And yeah. I think that's a great platform to find and learn about different resources and um, other families and just to bond with other families a- across the world, you know, in other states, yeah. other countries that are going mm-hmm. through a similar experience and, um, you know, are similar situations. And you could just, just re- you know, relate to them. And, um, but the, um, but the one thing I feel um, that helped me get through all this as well is, you know, it's very traumatic experience. But the one thing I felt that helped us was um, our faith in God's grace and our hope to not give up um, is what helped us greatly through this whole process. Um, the unconditional support that we had from our parents, our siblings, um, and some family and some friends um meant a great deal to us and helped us during our our, you know our trying times and a lot of our family they couldn't meet our our daughter and um until you know she after six months because the only people allowed in the NICU were our parents um us and so the the grandparents and us and then if we ever wanted to take like a a religious person to go and pray you know that's the only people and um and also the, the NICU staff that they always made us feel like their family and it made it yeah. feel like home given that the, given the circumstances we were experiencing. Mm-hmm. And honestly, they, they became our actual family um, because they're, they're angels that are chosen to be on our journey. And, and we choose to still continue to have them in our lives and very involved with our daughter and, you know, her growth. And a lot of them are her grandma and her aunties and, you know, uncles. And when we, we love them, you know, dearly. And I would also have to say that my husband and I, we wouldn't have been able to get through this if we didn't stand by one another, if we didn't support each other, uh, stick together through all our decisions. Uh, even though they're difficult decisions, we had to be on board together and um, I'm lucky to have had him there to, you know, give me a hug when I needed a hug, hold my hand and just tell me that everything was going to be, that everything was going to, you know, was going to be all right every time that I needed it. So um, definitely I think that's the biggest support and what helped us during those trying times and and yeah, I'm happy that I was able to share my story with you. And I, you know, I love to share it with others as well. And I know we have a, you know, public page. People are able to connect with me, um, follow my daughter's journey um, on Instagram. I have a, it's a, it's at miracle um, underscore Ali Rose. And they're able to, ch- um, they're able to check us out there, see our journey, everything that we go through with her. And um, they're also, we started a nonprofit. Um, that's also, it's a miracle underscore fighters. Um, that people are able to follow our journey that we're, you know, we're new to it. So we're just starting, but we've always been advocates to, you know, for Nikki families or children that are going through any special needs. And, um, you know, we're hoping to continue. We had our first event for our nonprofit yesterday. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's, you know, it's for families to come together that we're able to relate to each other. And then just um, where a kid can just be a kid of how he wants to be. And they're able to just, come together you know no no judgment no nothing just just have a good time so we're hoping to have these three events annually and um 
I'd like to also take uh, care packages to um, the NICU families whenever I get a chance. Um, usually I go during the holiday um, because we spend our holidays there. So, um, you know, takes a little gift packet, a little something to the families that were there because I know that it's a tough time to be in there. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, so if there's any way I, I want to say, like, that's the best thing that I like to do on my holiday on either Christmas Eve or Christmas Day and, you know, take some goodies to the staff that are there. So I know we'll be there um, one of those days as well. Um, and along from there, they're, you know, they're also able to um, connect with me. I have a, a blog where I, I haven't been as active just because I've been so busy with my daughter and everything. But mm -hmm. I do have a blog out there. I'm trying to be a little bit more active. I'm posting um, more stuff, you know, since I have the Instagram too. But sometimes it's nice to kind of read a little bit more in depth. Mm -hmm. So um, I have my blog, which is uh, Defying the odds.org as well so people are able to message me on there as well message me on social media and um um if then that they do need to speak to you know me if they want to speak to me in person or if they want to reach out to me um they could always message me and you know i'll be more than happy to get in contact with them if there's anything else that's needed as well or any questions yeah. Well, that's amazing. You have a lot of information and I think you're a great resource. I follow both of your pages and they're pretty amazing. So thank you so much for sharing everything. Um, I'm hoping that the listeners are able to get a lot out of this interview because I think you gave a lot of good tips, a lot of hope and, and, and a lot of um, resources that um, other parents can, can use. So thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story thank you so much and i hope that um yeah just feel free um for everyone that's listening to follow our journey follow our um you know nonprofit page to see how you could get involved or you know if you have any questions again and thank you so much for following us and having me on here i really appreciate it join me again in two weeks to hear another story of a tiny miracle until then stay strong and don't lose hope